Welcome everyone to Political Party Live in studio on the stage of the Inglet Theater. We're back after a brief hiatus. Feels good to be back. I'm with uh, my two co-hosts, Misty Rebick and Stacey Walker. Say what's up, Misty and Stacey. What up? What up? How are you, how are you guys doing? How are you feeling? What you been up to? What's going on in your world? Oh man, all the politics <laughs> and very little party. <laughs> <laughs> Ditto. So for those of you who don't know, but I'm sure most of you do know, Misty is the deputy campaign manager for gubernatorial race right now. I'm the campaign manager now. I stand corrected. Misty is the campaign manager. Yeah. Uh, how, how much? <laughs> two weeks, three weeks before the primary? About three. Uh-huh, about so 20 your days. world is just crazy right now. That's right. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's been a really, really long primary. Um, we started in a 12-way primary, which we're now down to a six-way primary. And the candidate I'm working for continues to sort of, you know, be up there in the top three. So it's pretty intense. And she's been campaigning for over a year. I've been on the campaign for 10 months, but it's been pretty long and grueling. But it's been great. Learned a lot. What's what's the day to day like right now for you, Misty? Well, since I'm I'm doing a lot of managing, you know, keeping staff on task, keeping people because it's also been long for our staff, frankly. I mean, everyone's it's just been a long campaign for a for a state level campaign, I think. Um, so it's just like keeping people on task, keeping people excited, um, communication, helping my team communicate better, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, just making sure that we continue to get our message out there to as many voters as possible coaching Kathy, you know, on a daily basis and really working together with, with Kathy and my communications team. Uh, so a lot of management. It's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. Yeah. And then events, of course. I'm, I'm in Des Moines, you know, rarely, sometimes three, five times a week or other places, but I'm in Des Moines a lot. I'm not home very often, but it's, it's all right. Well, you're almost there, though. Home I am. Stretch. We're almost there. Home yeah, stretch. and it's, it's looking good. I'm pretty excited about what we've accomplished with the campaign. I think... Um, we've done something different and I'm proud of that and certainly proud to be a part of the team that's um, been up against a lot of challenges and yeah. prevailed. Okay. So. First major Iowa campaign to have campaign staffers organize. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So our staff have a union, the Campaign Workers Guild. Right, right. So they organized, um, oh gosh, about two months ago now, right out around after the, the caucus in February. And it was really important to us to not just talk the talk, but walk the walk, where the you know pro-union campaign, and really beyond pro-union, just every worker needs a voice in their workplace and the ability to uh, work collectively with their coworkers to improve their workplace. So actually, really, the only thing that the contract did differently is it, it made a cohesive unit, and then it created a um, specific way to present grievances, uh, which is important you know, for every every place of work. But we're already giving, everybody has health care in our campaign, paid completely by the campaign. No one's making less, everyone's making more than $15 an hour. Um, we try to set some hours, you know, that can be really tough on an electoral campaign. But I think for our staff, um, and I'm really proud of our staff for doing it, it wasn't actually as easy as some people might think. It takes a lot of extra time mm -hmm. to pull together a contract of 30 pages, negotiate over all of that, and do that in the midst of the campaign. Mm -hmm. um, so... That being said, um, there was a unanimous vote for the the um, the union, and then of course, when they approached Kathy and I, we were like, "Yes, voluntary recognition." Sat down, negotiated a couple of sessions. Um, it was my first time on the other side of the negotiating table. As management. As management. Mm -hmm. How's that feel? 
uh, I don't like pain management. <laughs> it, no, it was it was good. You know, it was really good for me. I think it. I learned a lot. Um, you know, there's. I'll be very honest. You know, there was some tense moments um, because my job as the campaign manager is to protect my candidate and protect the campaign. And sometimes different levels of staff don't always understand the complexities and the dynamics of the campaign, um, especially having a first time candidate. You know, um, in the the platform we have, we just have a lot more. Um, I would just say there's a lot, there's just a lot more up against us than some other campaigns. So we can't, you know, we're already doing a lot more and beyond what most campaigns would be doing, and then really pushing that is kind of like, oh my gosh, is this gonna kind of pu push us past the the effective, the ability to be effective? Yeah. So I found myself um, trying to bring Seth along and show them what we need to do. Uh, but I'm really proud of it. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. We're the only only camp. We're the second gubernatorial campaign in the country to have a union, and the only one in the state of Iowa. Well, that's great. Yeah. We should we should come back to that because I sure. think that'll. I think that's really a really important discussion for the future of like campaigns. Yeah, and totally. What, you know the 2018 and 2020 cycles that Absolutely. we're going up for. But Stacy Walker. Lynn County Supervisor, you're in the midst of a primary right now. I am. Yourself. Yeah. How do you feel, man? Like, what's your world like? What's what's going on with you? My world is probably a little less hectic than Misty's <laughs> world, uh, <laughs> thankfully. Um, whereas uh, I am focused on a much uh, smaller jurisdiction, obviously. Um, my universe of voters is anywhere between six to 8,000 people, uh, closer to 6,000 folks that I need to mm. really be trying to communicate with and convince heading into June 5th. Uh, you, you know, but the dynamics, uh, there are some similar dynamics. I think in Lynn County, um, I have really pushed the envelope on a lot of issues that progressives care about, that I care about. And um, our electorate uh, sometimes uh, takes a little longer to come around on these issues, but we get there. And I do uh, think that's the job of, of progressives right now. I, we, if, if we're not going to push the envelope, if we're not leading on the conversations, why it's important that we uh, protect people's ability to collectively bargain and to form unions uh, and leading by example, mm -hmm. uh, then I think quite honestly, we're wasting our time. Uh, that's what we are there to do. So, um, you know, some of the dynamics I think are similar uh, for me in Lynn County, mm -hmm. uh, but again, probably a little less hectic than on the statewide level. And, uh, you know, in our own little way, we have um, the challenges of raising money, of doing a really good job, being an elected official and trying to do the right thing and pass meaningful policy, uh, all the while getting out there and meeting voters and doing all the things you need to do to have a successful campaign. It, uh, I feel a lot better this time around uh, as a second time candidate. Um, the district, uh, district is a little bit different this time, right? The, the district is uh, the district is very different. I have lost a significant portion of the southeast side of town. That's the area I grew up in, the area that has a large population of black and brown voters, mm. and I've uh, picked up um, uh, other areas of the county uh, on the western part of the county, northwestern part of the county, uh, where the demographics a little different. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think all people 
um, uh, want more or less the same things. They want to feel mm -hmm. safe in their homes. They want to have uh, access and opportunity to jobs where they can earn a living wage, a mm -hmm. uh, wage that allows them to live in dignity. Uh, and they want to be able to give their kids, their loved ones, a chance uh, at life. And that's um, one of the core functions I see as my job as a lawmaker in Lynn County is to help facilitate that kind of life. And so uh, while the district and the demographics are a little different, I think there's a lot of areas of common ground where I can reach, reach a lot of the voters. Yeah, and I think that's that's actually really interesting to hear that because I continue, you know, on the campaign trail, on the statewide campaign trail, a lot of folks continue to push this narrative that there's this huge difference between rural and urban voters. Um, and I know that's not quite what you're talking about. Um, but I see the parallel. Yeah, there. yeah, there is a parallel there. And that's one of the things that I'm really committed to as an activist um, organizer, all the different roles that I play is like continuing to show the similarities we have in in the rights and the the things that motivate us essentially. And I really don't think it's that different, especially not in Iowa. I think it's pretty clear what some of our problems are. Um, the way you talk about them, I think, matters. And um, I think ultimately, people also want to be heard. You know, people want to feel like you're listening. Uh, which I don't think a lot of politicians do a very good job at, frankly. I'm not saying anything about you, of course, Stacey, but uh, in, our, in my campaign, it's been very interesting. It's like, you know, it would be helpful for everybody to take some listening classes. Like, how do you listen? You know, mm -hmm. it means you actually listen to what someone's saying. Don't just be thinking about your next talking point. Mm -hmm. And it's hard, though, on the campaign trail to not do that. I do mm -hmm. that sometimes. I catch myself assuming what I know someone's going to say and getting the next thing ready, like the thing that's worked before, instead of just, like, actually being – sometimes it takes, like, taking your hat off and just, like, acting as if you don't know anything. Like, just being naive and just, like, letting that person get tell you – the thing and having a more authentic reaction is helpful because this is the first time in my life I've worked on an electoral campaign and especially during a time in politics when people hate politicians so people don't know that I'm not a, I'm not a politician in the sense of politician and mm -hmm. so I've walked into rooms where I'm like why is everybody so mean to me right now mm. like why are people so rude and mean <laughs> to me without knowing anything about me or what I'm about to say or what I'm trying to do and I've just realized that it's like wow people are really really angry at the political system mm -hmm. and think we're all the same you there, know there has been a growing cynicism with politics in this country uh -huh. um, for some time now and it seems to worsen every year but I also think there are a lot of other dynamics, and I'm sure you're acutely aware of this <laughs> at play, when you are a woman, mm -hmm. maybe when you're a person of color, mm -hmm. or when you're pushing an agenda that um, that is not the status quo, mm -hmm. that is not politics as usual, mm -hmm. as has been said before. And uh, there is a reluctance particularly in Iowa Democratic politics, which is terribly unfortunate. There's a reluctance to acknowledge those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, I, I, I talk to a lot of Democratic groups, and there's always a look of surprise on their faces when I bring these things up. You mm -hmm. know, this, this, this is a problem. It's a problem when actors in D.C. are you know, handpicking uh, candidates. Um, mm. This is particularly an issue in, in congressional races. Right. Um, and then you wonder why there is apathy amongst certain uh, demographics in the electorate yeah. uh, with the party that is supposed to be about um, inclusivity. 
party of the um, people. Yeah, it's it's troubling that we can't have an honest and frank conversation. The fact that the Democratic Party, at least at the national level, is just now instituting policies to hire uh, consulting firms uh, that are run by people of color. There's there's just now been an acknowledgement that in the rank and file, and uh, the sort of party elite, as I've uh, called it, uh, there's there's just now been an acknowledgement that we are missing uh, a lot of perspective. Uh, and understanding that that has ripple effects yeah. um, is sad that it's 2018 and we're just now having these conversations. But to circle back to my original point, it's not just that people don't like politicians. No, I think that's as, right. that's as old yeah. as the earth. But yeah. there's something more at play there, I think. Yeah, definitely. And when I was like saying like mean, I guess what I'm trying it, it is it is I've never been hated more in my life, I think. Uh, or at least explicitly. I'm sure I've been hated. <laughs> and I am kind of like people either love me or hate me, but um I've definitely never explicitly been hated so much. And it's like it kind of takes a toll on you, you know, especially when you really believe that um there'd be no I would not be like this is not about I, I guess I don't find myself doing this work for my ego, I really truly believe that um, the way forward in electoral politics is more inclusivity and talking about the tough things that other folks don't want to talk about, which is often, you know, gun violence right now, for example, health and health care, um, raising wages, uh, things like that. So, um, That's a yeah, really good segue into sort of the damage report. Typically, when we have this podcast, we break it up into two components, the damage report, which gives us the opportunity to bitch, vent, <laughs> be cathartic about all the things that are happening uh, within the Trump administration, and then we get into the, the get into the substance of our podcast. So let's just sort of like catch up on all the crazy different things that are happening within the Trump administration, but also sort of throughout the culture writ large. Uh, gosh, Donald Trump, what has he done recently that has caught your eye? Or what hasn't he done? I don't know. Like, what's the better way to <laughs> frame it, discuss it, dive into the damage report? Huh. <laughs> what has he done recently that has? Well, let's let's maybe let's let's start let's start with this question. Um, do you think it's enough? We're going to talk about sort of the blue wave and and the midterm elections. Do you think it's enough to run against Donald Trump this year? Or do we have to have Democrats or any candidate running who's going to be in the ballot? Do they have to have more of a, of a, of a vision, more policies, more to offer than just they're not Trump, they're running a, on an anti-Trump message? Are we all in agreement that it's probably the latter, that you have to be about something? I would actually quibble okay. with that a little bit, so to be I'll, honest. I'll take the position that I don't think it is enough to be I am not Donald Trump. I don't okay. think it's enough. And I think that's uh, a, a classical problem that Democrats mm -hmm. have, mm -hmm. is that Democrats are more afraid to be proactive and be about something mm -hmm. and to push for what it is you believe in, because I think you pick up more support that way when you can say affirmatively what it is you stand for and you make a case for it, whereas Democrats have a tendency to be comfortable on the defensive, to be comfortable uh, sort of in retreat, if you will, in terms of policy. This shouldn't always be about what policies we don't like or we want to overturn. This ought to be about, this is how I can make your life better. This is why you ought to join the ticket. 
there's nothing that you said there that's probably disagreeable, right? I think that's right, mostly. I guess my concern is more of a practical consideration about how to win back the House, how to reclaim state legislatures across the country, um, how to best position Democrats to reclaim power in this cycle very specifically. I think there's just, as you mentioned before, um, there's a lot of mess and messiness within the Democratic Party, whether it be on issues of race, whether it be inclusiveness, whether it be on uh, sexual harassment. There's just a lot of our own shit that we have to figure out, whether it be... Whether we believe healthcare. Whether we... <laughs> right, right. Um, whether we want to rid ourselves of sort of more conservative conservative blue dog Democrats or whether we want to be a more stridently progressive and liberal party, right? We're not going to figure that out in this cycle. I think sometimes to litigate that within, I think to litigate that within the cycle, within the moment that we're in right now would be at the detriment of a political winning at the ballot box on in November 2018. I I hear and, and, I, I hear you. You you hear me? I and do. I'm, I'm making do. an argument for the sake of making an no, argument. No no no. And but but so but, what does that person look like then though? I mean like I hear you too as well. Yeah. And I and I I would like to see a party that can have lots of things in it. I think what makes a party what would make the party stronger, the Democratic Party would be for the the level of diversity and ability to debate health in a healthy way over healthcare over these different things because the truth is right now what I feel is it's like trying to snuff out the people that's who don't it. agree with the other that people and I don't think that's how we exist as a party I think there's got to be some unity <laughs> I, I do <laughs> um, but unity has to be inclusive inclusive yeah. of other perspectives what can be Absolutely. more healthy than to have a group of people who have a bottom sort of floor of what yeah. we stand for, but then we're debating at the top over really important issues of our time. And I think that is what I would like to see. Now, we can't get too caught up in that and not run, you know, I hear what you're saying yeah, about 2020. And I, and I guess I, I don't, of course we don't want to snuff out certain voices or Well, people. some people do, though. And I mean, right. there's, and, there's and a huge part of the yeah, party that, that does want to do that. And that's a huge and obvious problem. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a delicate balance. Mm -hmm. But what I, I guess I don't see this stuff being figured out or sorted out right. until we have a Democratic nominee in 2020, right? Mm -hmm. Who's the head of the party? Um, who's the leader who sort of campaign casts and ultimately like wins, uh, creates a, a compelling and winning vision for the direction they want the country to go and the Democratic yeah. Party to go. I, so sometimes I just fear we get sort of caught up in this sense of who is more who's more right yeah. and relitig relitigating some of this stuff yeah. and it ultimately gets in the yeah. way of that, maximizing the opportunity in front of us to in 2018 the that that argument that mindset of who's more right who's more progressive uh, uh who has the better package of issues to run on that stuff is toxic because we cannot ever reasonably believe that all of the factions that make up the democratic party are going to somehow automatically, miraculously be on the same page about what issues are more important and where you need to be on which issues. 
the the challenges and Misty, you hit on this earlier is we have to be able to live in that party together. Now, tactically speaking, there are going to be some Democrats running in some districts that can't be leading on every issue. The challenge is for Democrats, and it has been this way for a very long time, is we can't eat our own in that process. Tactically speaking, someone running in rural Arkansas may or may not have a different message than somebody running in Massachusetts or New York, mm -hmm. but they have to be able to, and this is is, is for the institution of, of, uh, progressive politics to survive, we have to be comfortable in saying, you're not where I'm at, person in rural Arkansas, that's okay. We've got to find a, a set of issues that we can fundamentally uh, agree on in order for us to, to retain majorities. And I think that's not happening. I don't, I don't, I hear you. I don't think it's, it plays out as simple as that. I, th- I, I, Sometimes I hear certain people within the Democratic Party pay, say, or within the progressive movement, ultimately say they don't want those types of voters. They don't want those types of candidates in the, in the party, you know, within the movement. Um, and I hear them, right? Like, do I want some, like, it, like, like you know, sometimes we ask certain uh, groups, a lot of pro-choice groups, Sometimes they make concessions and to sort of swallow a pill when it comes to running uh, non-pro-choice Democratic candidates in certain districts Mm -hmm. because we say that's what they have to do to win, right? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah, and that's you're you're hitting at it. But but do I would I accept someone not being who's sort of bad on issues of race and criminal justice reform, issues of of things that are near and dear to my heart because of who I feel I, I am as a mm-hmm. human being, as a person, because that's the way they have to be in a district to win. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. No, no, no. And that's, no, I, that's a valid... I'm sorry, Misty. Well, I, I, I... So I... Um, okay. So I think <laughs> that... I, I, I believe that there is a way to uphold your values and campaign on certain issues. So I guess my biggest, like what, to your point, no, I do not feel good about voting for someone who's like anti-black or like is waving a blue lives matter flag. Like you're probably not gonna get my vote that way or you're not gonna get my vote, as a Democrat I'm talking yeah. about, or you're probably not gonna get my vote if you're um, totally in favor of the six week abortion ban. And I think that's where we have to draw the line is that I don't know that you need to campaign on those issues, but you have to agree that everybody has the right to be free. Everybody has the right to be make the choices over their own bodies and live in a safe society where they're not going to get shot, shot down by police or whatever the issue is. And it's like, that's where for me, I have an issue. Like, you know, I don't care, honestly, if you go campaign on women's health issues, or if you go campaign on clean water issues or whatever the issue is that you think that's going to resonate most within your district, but then to be like a secret homophobe or a secret racist or not even secret, but people know it, but they're like, oh, but he could never campaign. I'm not asking you to campaign on those issues, mm-hmm. but I really don't think that that's going to strengthen the party because what we need to make the party stronger is we need more people. We need more people actively engaged and inspired in doing the work of the party. And the only way to do that is to be more inclusive of more people. And, and there are a lot of people who are not that. 
Sure, there are racist people. Sure, there are bigoted people. Sure, there are anti-women people. But what about all the others who haven't had their doors knocked on? I mean, in the neighborhood I work in, for example, when I was door knocking for Kathy recently, I, which is a black neighborhood, mm -hmm. several people have told me no one has ever talked to them about voting. Okay, Just, and these people are all into Fight for 15. They're all into like all mm -hmm. the different issues that we're, and to me it's like why are we not as focused, as focused as we are as like appealing to the rural voters or, or the more conservative voters, why are we not as focused on the other people who've never been talked to or yeah. never been involved in the party from the beginning, not the last two weeks yeah. before the election. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's important. You know, yeah. because yeah. That's, that's for me is like, Look, I'm not asking people to go campaign on something that would r ruin their ability to get elected, but I do think you have to have the core values. And if you don't have those values, I don't think there's room in the party right now for you, I, I frankly. Am, I am in agreement with having core values, and I feel like I must say, for the record, I have I was not in, endorsing the party um, accepting people who have right. those kinds of views, right. um, anti-black or bigoted views. And anyway, my problem uh, gets at there are certain interest groups that have attached themselves to the Democratic Party that that they are ride or die on those issues. Yeah. And I understand that the reason for that. But what we have to realize is, is when we get into and I'm not making any accusations about anybody right now, but there are a few groups out there that do this. We get into philosophical disagreements over an issue, and we're ready to excommunicate. We're ready to actively campaign against. And I, my point is, I'm not sure if that's constructive yeah. of, uh, of building a stronger mm -hmm. movement. Mm -hmm. We've got to figure out a way for us to, and this is the cheesiest thing I'll say, but we've got to figure out a way for us to coexist so that we don't have what happened in 2016 happened, where we had people who were so dead set on certain issues, certain candidates, folks stayed home, we had democratic defection, and now we have arguably one of the worst presidents in American history mm -hmm. at the helm. Mm -hmm. And that's, we cannot afford that. This movement, the liberal experiment, cannot afford another 2016. No, we can't. Um, we're, we're nice and cozy and kind of getting settled in on the stage of the Englert <laughs> right now, our first in-studio session in a while. Um, and for those of you listening right now to the podcast, you're probably familiar with, if you're not, maybe you've been under a rock somewhere, but recently Iowa passed one of the most restrictive abortion measures in the history of the country. Um, the six-week six abortion ban um, puts us in line with states like Mississippi in Kentucky uh, with restricting access to abortion. It's a bad bill. I think it's gonna have incredibly harmful long-term consequences, mm -hmm. not only for this state, um, but for the region. Uh, Misty, I know you have some very specific thoughts. Why don't you kind of let us know like what this bill does and why it's so bad? Sure, yeah, I mean, so, so the, um, the bill itself basically prevents someone from accessing a safe legal abortion after the detection of a heartbeat. Um, so it's, it's a definitely, uh, that's what it does. If there's, if there's a heartbeat, which is basically around six weeks um, in most scenarios, then um, you can't have an abortion, right? So not a medical or surgical abortion. That's what it does. <laughs> Most women do not find out that they're pregnant until at least one missed period, which is, you know, you, I, I think everyone around the table knows. Most women have a period every 25 to 30 days. So you're looking at about at least four to five weeks. 
Um, being able to recognize or at least know when you're pregnant. Exactly, right? so exactly. Because unlike what some people think, there's no like mystical thing that happens. Like some magical change doesn't happen, you know, when you're pregnant. I mean, you don't, some some women know right away, some don't. Um, and I should say people because there's definitely um, people who get pregnant who do not identify as women. Um, and that's also a very important part of this bill. I mean, this bill basically makes it impossible to access safe legal abortion. And and not only just everyday women or people who can get pregnant, um, but you have to think about the devastating effects this has on people who um, are survivors of assault of any kind, and especially young girls who might be survivors of assault. I mean, uh, it's just, it's incredibly restrictive, and it is the worst one in the nation. And this is really not about... Iowa, you know, the, the reason that this is passed is because legislators are really hoping to um, uh, make this go to the Supreme Court and overturn Roe v. Wade. That's what this whole thing is really about, is making abortion illegal across the entire nation. So we're thankful ACLU, Emma Goldman Clinic, and Planned Parenthood of the Heartland filed a lawsuit to try to put a stay on this so that women in Iowa can still access abortions until this is um, litigated. Uh, as you know, um, and that that's helpful, <laughs> but uh, we have to understand that this is coming from the same playbook of the anti-collective bargaining rights of defunding public education and going to a voucher system. I mean, this is coming from the same playbook, and we should not be under any misconception that it's not that big. You yeah. know, I mean, the same people legislating for these other really awful policies that attack our public infrastructure and our ability to live with opportunity in our in our communities um, is pushing the same agenda. Uh, and it's terrifying, frankly. It's really terrifying. There's a lot of reasons why um, it, it doesn't really matter. If someone wants an abortion, they should be able to have one, um, period. And uh, this bill completely removes the right to be able to do that mm. in most scenarios. It's terrible. Uh, we have moved uh, closer to the dark ages in this state. And Misty, y- you were right. It is, um, it's, it's a well-coordinated effort. And tactically speaking, um, they're executing pretty, pretty damn well. Mm-hmm. When people say elections have consequences, you think about we have a new regime uh, <laughs> in the White House um, that is stacking the courts um, with judges who believe in this outdated, backwards, uh, bigoted, uh, half-cocked ideology. Mm-hmm. And if they are the ones hearing these cases, then they don't have a shot. I mean, mm-hmm. these, these the, so, so elections have consequences. We're determining judges. Mm-hmm. And now we know that the strategy all along has been, let's push this to the courts where mm-hmm. uh, our folks are going to make decisions on this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's terrible. And it is motivating voters. Um, and some of the recent polls uh, that I've seen, uh, the funding of Planned Parenthood, which is deeply connected to this attack because mm-hmm. it's sort of branded together, um, is one of the biggest reasons people um, are motivated to vote, not just women. So when the when the, the, the bill was initially passed by the in the state legislature and it moved this way to Kim Reynolds, the governor of Iowa's <laughs> uh, desk to be signed, you know, there was a lot of, will she sign it, will, will she mm-hmm. not, right? Um, and I was generally curious as to sort of which way she was going to go. Because on the one hand, you're right, elections have consequences, right? And so Republicans have been running and stoking and, and galvanizing a lot of the religious right and evangelical voters, mm-hmm. which this type of issue comes from. And this is sort of a, this is a, a one issue, you know, voting type of, type of thing, right? 
Um, so they have to give something to that base. Mm-hmm. But on, on the other hand, it feels like, why do this, right? We're pretty much, it felt like abortion is a pretty much settled issue. It's only something that animates a small percentage of the population and even a subset of the Republican base. It's not needed. And the, the consequence, although you're going to give something to your base, you're going to motivate a lot of young women, a lot of progressive, liberal, Democratic-leaning voters. You know, they're going to wake up, you know, because this is real, right? Yeah. This, is, this is pretty much trying to ban abortion. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that a lot of younger folks appreciated the threat to abortion, right? You know, to the right to have an abortion, fully appreciated until now, right? When it's, when it's very close to being stripped and taken away. Um, and not just younger women, I just have to add. Sure, I mean, yeah, we okay. have sisters who are alive right now who remember family members, friends, you know, maybe even themselves who are forced to have back alley abortions. I guess and this my, is my point was there's probably, I mean, how many, there, there's a generation of women or even men just there's a generation of people who are who were, were born after Roe v. Wade where yeah, Roe, it's right. been settled. Well, right. that, it's been there well, sort that, of. And that's what I want to. Um, I understand why you said that. Um, but President Obama masterfully warned us in his sort of farewell address that democracy is fragile. Mm. And in so many words, issues in America may not always be settled. And that's why you have to you have to stay active. And this is a case in point that we are revisiting an issue. Roe v. Wade was decided in 72 or 74? 73. 73. We thought we would never relitigate this in public opinion, uh, in the courts, but here we are because elections have consequences, things change. But I will also say this, in fairness, if you will, uh, to the individuals where this is an issue for the evangelicals and people who are motivated out of fidelity to religion, this is a real issue to them. And this has become an issue that they're so vested in that they will support candidates to elective office that believe the way they they believe. Issue only, right? They'll disregard Mm-hmm. All other considerations for ethics, morality, and that, but, life, but it's, but it's their, it's life their, it's, I feel you. I'm not arguing with it. Yeah, it's their ethics. Yeah. It's their morality. Right. It's their perception. It's their reality. And there are a lot of single issue voters. There are there are voters here who care but, in in this in this country who care nothing more than what they perceive as their right to bear arms. Nothing else matters. But if you can talk to them about that issue they're going to, and you, and you side with them, they're going to support you. And the same is true on this issue. So for those voters, this is, this is real to them. It's unfortunate. I I, I do. And I I hear you on that. And I also just believe they're a minority, like in the, in the, I I believe it's a small contingent of people. And I think you're to your point, Simeon, why, why do that? Right. And I think it goes to show something though, that, you know, the Republican Party is, I believe, well, I, this is kind of going somewhere. I don't I'm just thinking about uh, this right now. Let's, but let's go there. it's like, you know, it's, it, to me, it's like the Republican Party is made up of these little tiny factions of small minority groups, not not minority in the sense of like the old school term, or like people of color. I'm talking about um, yeah, size, size yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. gun owners, you know, yep. staunch, staunch Second Amendment people. There, yep. I think most people like think we should bear, you know, have the right to bear arms. Mm-hmm. But there's some people like that. That's their issue. Yep. Abortion. That's their issue. 
straight up racism. Mm-hmm. That's, that's their, their issue. issue. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. and it's it's like so that's the super what the Republican, wealthy, the super wealthy yep, yep, tax, yep, yep. you know, tax yep. incentives or yep. tax breaks, depending on who you are, or whatever. Um, exactly, yeah. and like so, but those are such tiny groups of people, and all together collectively, they they create a base for the Republicans. To my earlier point, though. There's more discipline there than yes, what there is. what the progressive what movement has. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. So, so what if what if the I mean that's to me a very ugly example of how to build a movement because mm. being single issue minded is at, to me the heart of injustice. Is people don't understand how one th- people have the ability to people have not. Um, how do I want to say it? I, uh, I find that or- organizing the biggest challenge in organizing is. It's my job to help people understand how everything affects everything and how everything's interconnected. And that's when you can break people out of a mold of being a singular sort of person and where they can fully live their lives and be dynamic and um, have a voice and an opinion on a lot of things. you got to break yeah. out of that, right? It takes, but, it takes education, and it takes campaigning for what you believe in and, and explaining that, right? And education, not always in the sense of, like, going to college, right? Although I to- to- totally yeah, believe college yeah, yeah. is good to help yeah. people expand their mi- minds. But I'm talking about... I'm in educating like, the electorate. Yeah, for sure. And it's, like, full-body shaking, like, waking up power discussions. You know, mm. why do we make the choices we make? Who's driving that? Is it really you? Why do you make those choices? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like having these conversations that very few people have had. But I, I come from that kind of organizing, this background in organizing where everything is like about power analysis and what drives you, what motivates you, why do you do the things you do? Is it really what you want to do once you understand the full picture? Yeah. Maybe yeah. not, right? And right. So that's how you change behavior so, is you give people the full picture. Um, and so anyways, my point is, sorry, I'm kind of no, going no, off. But it's just to, like, I just think that there's an opportunity for the Democratic Party, there really is. Oh, there's so many people who want something different. There's so many people who want to be a part of something. People are so lonely right now. The way that the the world has moved into the social justice, or I'm sorry, social media world where everything's on a screen, it's like people don't even want to open their door because they're so scared to talk to a stranger. You know, I mean, it's it's become Mm -hmm. such a strange place to do politics now and people just want to screen, you know? All, all the more reason why Democrats need to operate in the affirmative. That's right. Put a right. stake in the ground. What is it that you believe in? How does this affect my life? As opposed to operating in the negative, whereas if you, you don't want that, so therefore vote for me. Vote for me because That's I'm right. Not that. you, you mentioned uh, President Obama's farewell address, um, and President Obama oftentimes talked about how we're missing empathy within our culture. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of instructive for the debate that we're having right now um, and getting beyond these single issues and being able to, to recognize that the, the dignity and the decency or just sort of the similarities that exist between sort of people that may look different, come from different neighborhoods, um, may see the world differently. Um, and uh, I say that because um, I think we need be more empathetic with each other, yeah. Um, I think we need sort of need to uh, um, really try to f- not just common ground, but to recognize inherent sameness in the person um, standing across from me, or the the person that I may be engaged in at a discussion with, or a discourse, or a debate with. Um, but all is not lost. Uh, we we started this discussion uh, talking about Trump, but we went a very different place. But I saw something that like made me have hope recently. Uh, so in the 2016 election at the rallies that Trump had, right, he, from the stage, he sort of 
stoked a lot of racial animus, right? Mm -hmm. And when there would be protests uh, at the state, she would say, get him out of here. Or, you know, he would physically inflict harm upon someone, right? And oftentimes we would see some of his supporters at those rallies, like physically assault some of the protesters. So one of those protesters hit a guy who was a, a black male and it recently went to court. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this happened very recently. And the, the guy who was assaulted and the person who did the assaulting, they met in court and there was a moment of, moment of reconciliation. The white guy, older white gentleman who was a Trump supporter broke down crying. He apologized. He felt deeply regretful and remorseful. And the gentleman who was assaulted was able to find it in his heart to say, I forgive you and give him a hug, right? And it was, that, it was in that moment that whether you, know, you were supporting Trump or if you were there to protest Trump because you thought he was a bigot it, or he was a racist, those two people were able to get past that, right? It was a moment of like, I see you, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm able to forgive you for assaulting me and someone being able to humble themselves and ask for, ask for forgiveness. I don't know. That's that's yeah. hopeful yeah. to me with, you know, yeah. that the Republican Party is going to have to ask the rest of the country <laughs> or for just, forgiveness. Or just, 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 just from a, on, on a straight, I mean, person separate personal person level, personal right? Person level, right? Yeah. Like how could yeah. I think our, our, the, the, we live in a hyper partisan sort of yeah. political yeah. culture. I don't know how we're going to get past that, but what I do, what I do find inspiration and hope in is our ability to have conversations with at the local level with people we may disagree with. Yeah. The conversations you're having at the door, you know, when you're trying to talk to voters, the conversations that you're having on behalf of Kathy, mm -hmm. Misty, having one-on-one -on -one conversations, the people recognizing that, all this, although this person may say they're Democrat or they may say they're voting for Trump or supportive of Trump, let's see if we can have a, have a, have a conversation and sort of empathize with mm -hmm. where each other's coming from. Yeah. That is a beautiful, optimistic note to conclude this first portion of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So before you go, um, I think we wanted to ask about this this like crazy thing on the internet, this Laurel oh. or Yanny thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know anything about it other than it got shoved in my face yesterday, and I had to listen to it. But you heard something. It was very confusing. I didn't know what I, w I did. I didn't hear a word or anything that meant anything to me, but I heard Yanny. Okay. Did you or, really? Or right. Yami yeah. or Yanny yeah, or something yeah. like that. Yanny, no Yanny. question about it. Really? Yeah, that's what I, I heard. I heard Laurel. Oh my yeah. God! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our producer uh, said he'd heard Laurel as well, so I'm not alone here. But I think so. So beyond see, sort of we have this, to have compassion like, for each other. Right, it's okay. Right, right. It's, it's okay, okay, Simeon, right. that you okay that hear Laurel and I hear again. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you're still you're still an okay person. Slash, they what was said was Laurel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, it's a really interesting sort of like social media thing that went viral, right? right. I remember the not that long ago we had the is it a blue and yeah. black dress or is it a gold and something else? We got to figure out a way to make empathy go viral. How can we make empathy go? But I think that starts with recognizing the limitations of our own perspectives, perspectives yeah. right? So that's a th this most recent example is a, is a classic, you know thing or kind of illustrates how we perceive the world, our ability to receive the, perceive the world, right? Whether it be through what we see, how we hear, how we smell, um, how we cognitively process mm -hmm. what someone's saying to us and the biases that we carry into certain conversations or into certain situations and how that informs the way we make opinions. Oftentimes we draw conclusions, you know, based upon that thing, how that's just a very... Uh, um, it's a it's 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 a more complicated than just being able to to make absolute statements and come to sort of like conclusive 
factual decisions on things, right? You know, like it's all, it's fairly, it's subjective and like, we just have to recognize the limitations of our own ability to sort of It reminds things. me of like when you hear a song that you haven't heard in a really long time, like for years, I'm talking like years, like maybe you heard it when you were a young child yeah. or in middle school or high school and then you hear it like 10, 15 years later and you're like, oh my God, that's what this is saying. Like I totally thought this song said something different. Yeah, like I, I literally example. made the words into something different than what it was, but probably because my, my world has expanded so much, I now know what those words are, right? And I also just have to say before Stacy, before we take um, in the se this session, is I do think it's very interesting that two politicians at the table here, Yanni and the artist here, Laurel, <laughs> That's that's interesting. Yeah. I wonder there's if there's something that. about the way our brains work there that there that. is right because behind that was like the what, what what type of frequencies your brain picks up on right? Uh -huh. It was more a higher frequency. Oh shoot! Mm -hmm. You heard a certain thing. Right. Yeah. Sort mm. of how they explain the difference. Yeah. 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 We got to check our brains out, Misty. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, definitely after this. I do. You're right. <laughs> this All has right. been fun. Okay. It's nice getting the crew back together. Finally. Yeah. All right. Getting done. excited for... We're done. We'll have to check back in after the primaries. Yeah, checking back in after the primaries. We'll be doing some GOTV work for the fall. Um, make sure you tune in and check out what we're doing. And we'll be back.